Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. All right, so this is already week number five of this series. And so when we have longer series like this, it can sometimes be easy to forget where we've been because we're we're in the middle of this series. And so, you know, particularly when we have a, an awesome speaker last week, like Tim Bennett, wasn't he great? So good to have him with us. Always very grateful when the Bennett family comes to town. So a number of years ago, we were seeking God for what he had for us as a church. We were looking toward the future and, and I began asking God, God, what are we called to do? Like I get the, the greater mission of the church, the big C church, you know, the, the body of Christ, but what about Freedom Valley? What are you calling us to specifically? And in that period of time, God said, it's not so much about what I'm calling you to do. It's about who I'm calling you to be. That you have an identity within the greater body of Christ. And what you do flows out of who you are. So I'm calling you to be someone in the kingdom of God. And that's where the vibrant, passionate, selfless thing came from that we say around here all the time. We are a vibrant, passionate, selfless church who wants to change the world with the message of the gospel. God has called us to be vibrant, passionate, and selfless. That is our identity. And and we're meant to strive more and more towards that every day. And so we've been talking about the early church throughout this series, really focusing on the church of the book of Acts. What was it like right after Jesus came, died on the cross, ascended back into heaven, and then sent the Holy Spirit? What was that first church like? How did those disciples act? What, What did it look like? And as I went through the book of Acts, I realized it really did look vibrant, In the first, the second week of the series, actually, we talked about how Peter allowed his mindset to be changed by the Holy Spirit. He, he, his attitude toward Gentiles, right? He allowed himself to be changed. He was vibrant, flexible, willing to let the Holy Spirit change him. It looked passionate as well, like Ananias following the Holy Spirit, even to minister to a murderer of Christians like Saul. He got to see him change into Paul, the greatest missionary ever. And today we're going to look at the selflessness of the early church, specifically of Stephen in the early church. We've been going progressively backwards through the book of Acts, I think. Actually, we started in Acts 9, went to Acts 8. We're going to 6 and 7 today. And so we're going to start in Acts 6, verse 1, by reading about the early church. And it begins like this. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. Can't even go further than that yet. Rumblings of discontent. There are always rumblings of discontent. If you take nothing else away from this particular message, take that. There are always rumblings of discontent. Even the the church closest to Jesus in time, (laughs) there were rumblings of discontent. There is no perfect church. Even the early church wasn't a perfect church. Why? Because there are no perfect people. (laughs) 
right? A church is, is a organization run by people, yes, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are constantly being changed, sanctified is, is the churchy word for that. We're being sanctified, made into holy people, more like Christ every day, but we are still imperfect people. Some of us act like the church should be this place where everyone caters to me all the time and I'm treated perfectly and the music is just to my taste and the pastor always preaches something that's soothing to my soul and I'm completely and totally taken care of and comfortable all the time. There were rumblings, even back then, of discontent. Look, the church is beautiful. It's amazing, actually. But it's not perfect, and it's not enough. That's what this series is about. The the fact that there were rumblings in the first church ever, the one closest to Jesus, proves that. We don't just need church. We need Jesus. Is Sunday morning church essential? Yes. Is Sunday necessary? Absolutely. Can you be who God called you to be without it? You cannot. This is a Darius Daniels quote. (laughs) But it's not enough to be all of who God has called you to be. We need Jesus deep down in our souls to infiltrate our lives and to overflow onto the world around us. The Bible doesn't tell us here whether the rumblings were warranted or not. It doesn't say that people were just being people and complaining about everything or whether they actually had a point doesn't tell us. But it goes on to say that the Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers. It sounds like a Dr. Seuss book at this point. Saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Look, the church was already being selfless. You can see that here. Taking care of widows... They were naturally being selfless. These were women who didn't have a means to take care of themselves in that time and place in the world. And right away, the church begins to step up and take care of each other. Right away, the earliest church began to see each other as a family, as a a group, a community. Not as individuals all out for themselves in a dog-eat-dog world, but working together with each other corporately. It's my favorite thing the church does, by the way. Somebody needs Christmas gifts at Christmas, and everybody steps up to provide them. Somebody needs back-to-school supplies, or I don't know. The church steps up to care for each other. It's one of my favorite things the church does. We begin to see each other as an us, not a me versus them. The early church saw their world differently right from the start. And the Bible doesn't tell us whether or not this discrimination was actually happening. Now, some people think that to fix a problem, you have to know every detail. Well, who said it? And, and who is distributing the food? And, and what, is there really a problem? And let's have 5,000 counseling sessions before we actually get to the bottom of it. It's not what they did here. In fact, the apostles did something amazingly wise. And in verse 2, it tells us they, the 12, called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. 
Philip Prochorus, Nicanor, I like to say this one, Timon, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. So God's message continued to spread. Because the believers got organized, God's message could continue to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. The apostle's solution to the grumblings was for people to step up and serve. Step up and serve rather than be served. Step up and get organized. The the church was never meant to be a place where one person does all the shepherding, all the discipling, all the organizing, all the planning, all the leading. That's actually a really unfair job description. And I'll tell you what, though, it's the job description of probably 99% of pastors across America, and it's the number one cause of churches not growing past 100 people. Pastor is meant to do everything, right? All the ministry flows from the pastor, right? When in fact, Ephesians 4, verse 11 says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So is it meant to be only the pastors, the evangelists, the prophets, the pastors and teachers doing all of it? Or are they meant to equip you, God's people, to do the work of the ministry? We are all called to serve. And if you're not serving somewhere, giving somewhere, attending somewhere, or bringing people to something, you're doing church wrong. Church isn't meant to be something you just attend or or just take from. Church is something you give your life into. You pour yourself into your gifts, your your talents, your treasure, your personality into. Do it, and it's life-changing. The apostle's solution to the grumblings was for people to step up and serve. (laughs) Maybe today you see something wrong in the church. Something to grumble about. There probably is. Maybe that's the thing God is calling you to step up and serve in. Right? Maybe you wish there was a different kind of Bible study class, and maybe you're being called to step up and get qualified to lead one. Right? Maybe, maybe you wish there was, I don't even know what's happening in kids' ministry today, but sometimes we don't have enough volunteers for a nursery and a preschool room. Right? And you wish there was not just a nursery today. Maybe God's calling you to step up and volunteer. Sign up right? Instead of grumbling about it, maybe step up and help fix it. The grumblings always come within us, that is, right? We get offended easily. We see something that's not right, especially people with leadership gifts tend to look around and see that could be done better, right? It's natural, but are we going to let them stop us from following Jesus? Because a lot of people do. I was thinking about this just this morning, too. Christianity isn't a religion to be practiced alone. It's not a religion you can do alone, really. We're called to do more than just between us and God. We need a community around us to practice following Jesus correctly, the way he called us to. We have to serve people. We tend to let offense get in the way. We let offense 
push people away. Oh, they just don't want me there. Or I'm never included in anything. Or they don't want the kind of help I, I want to provide or, or whatever it is. Church is so clicky. Get in a click. Serve somewhere. That's how you do that. Right? The media team all talks to each other because they serve together. I'm just, that's just an example. Get in one. Serve somewhere. Join a team. Join a home group. Right? Get involved in something. Don't let offense or grumblings make you pull away. We need to work through them. And the Bible gives us clear ways of doing that, but we have to work through them and serve each other. Find ways of serving each other. Look, every time I preach a message like this about serving in church, I have people coming up to me at the end of of service offering to help with stuff. Right? And I always go through the list. Well, I know that kids' ministry really needs help right now. Right? We can't start another service until we have all the kids' ministry people that, that we need. And, and no, no, I can't do that. So I go down. Okay, okay. I know cafe needs people to serve right now, you know, pouring coffee and ringing people up. And oh, no, that's not my thing either. All right. Um, safety team is a great one. We, we need nurses, you know, on call in case somebody gets hurt or something. Great guys that, that keep us safe around here. Uh, no, not really me. But what I really want to do, and somebody will launch into this really random obscure ministry that will require lots of finances and lots of time, an entire room in the church, a vehicle. And if you could give me your firstborn, that would be really great. Right. <laughs> All of my teams need help right now. I'm sure there are grumblings everywhere. I'm sure I'm not spending enough time in prayer and the word because I'm doing way too much of the organizing myself. I'm sure I'm bottlenecked already. I need people in the ministries that we already have. The early church could not have started new things without settling the grumblings that were already happening first. They began to grow because they fixed the issues within them first. Sometimes I'll also have people, you know, come up and say they want to preach. God, they really feel like God is calling them to teach the word. Awesome. Have you gone to Bible school? Nope. Been saved six months. Okay. No problem. I, you know, taught, I started teaching the word in kids ministry for six years. I taught four times a week, right? Kids, it's, it's such a great way to learn, honestly, is teaching kids. You learn so much yourself. And I, I launch into that whole thing. No, kids aren't really my thing. Okay, well, we have junior hires, too. You can teach them. We have, we have youth. No, I mean, I really have a story to tell. If, if you could just give me the microphone on a Sunday morning, I know that's what God is really calling me to. So you don't want to serve. You just want the stage. Right? If you only knew the weight and the price that the stage anointing comes with, you wouldn't ask for it so casually. Those seven men that were chosen in this passage to step up may have had to humble themselves. Or maybe some of them were even the ones who had been grumbling. <laughs> right? They may, they may have had to change their mindsets when they were chosen, step into something they had no intention of ever stepping into. They each had a role to play fixing a problem the church already had. And oftentimes we look at someone else's role and we think, man, I just wish I could do that one. But the church is a body. Each part works together. We all have a role to play. We can't all be eyes. We can't all be hands. We can't all be feet. We each have a part to play. 
so the body can function together in a healthy way. Uh, These guys stepped up. They served selflessly where they were needed, were called to serve as Jesus did, without thought or preference toward self. Love God, love each other. That's what Jesus said all the law and the prophets boil down to. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus laid down his life for us. His life. And sometimes we grumble about coming in at 8 a.m. to put on a pot of coffee for our fellow believers. (laughs) We we grumble. We have a hard time sacrificing a Sunday to hold babies and change some diapers. We have a hard time asking uh, a friend to come along to church with us. Or a hard time saying, "Can can I pray for you? Stepping out and just sacrificing that little bit of self-respect we think we might lose in their eyes or something? Do we even really know what selfless means? If we're going to reach the world, continue to spread the gospel, we have to be selfless, but we have to be selfless inwardly first to each other, right? We, we have to figure out how to model selflessness to the world. We have to be the example. The, the word says they will, the world will know them by the way they love each other. Otherwise, the world will come looking, right? That they'll come looking for Jesus and only find us. For the church to be selfless to the world, it must first organize itself. Must first love itself, each other. We cannot be a light to the world, salt of the earth, when we're a mess within. When we're grumbling about each other and fighting inwardly and taking care of each other poorly, the world will come looking for something different, something powerful, something that means something, something supernatural, and only find more of the same. Selfish people only out to get what they want from you, gossiping and grumbling and griping, not modeling Jesus at all. We must ruthlessly eliminate selfishness from our lives. I tend to to actually think it's helpful to think of the word sin as selfishness. Substitute the word sin as selfishness, just selfishness. Sin carries all these extra religious connotations. Um, But just think of it simply as selfishness, as an exercise. How does that change the way you view sin? The early church was selfless. How do we model that? How do we ruthlessly eliminate selfishness from our lives? Does that mean we have no regard for self? No, because you're of no help to anyone else if you don't put on your own oxygen mask first. We're also meant to take care of ourselves. The early church, some of them so got this. They understood selflessness so much better than I think we do today. They even modeled it in persecution. And this part is important because I see so many Christians right now giving into so much fear. Fear about uh, the end times and being so skeptical of government and, and all of that. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be, but I think we forget just how much the early church went through. We think we're unique somehow in persecution on planet Earth. The early church went through this so much worse. And uh, we our persecution pales in comparison to what they went through. The same Stephen we met in chapter 6. 
being elected to take care of widows and run a soup kitchen is the same Stephen we see in chapter 7, being lied about, being dragged into the temple courts, and boldly preaching a message to the Jewish leaders who only had contempt for him and his message. Acts 7 wraps up. Verse 54, it says, The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. They shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Stephen wasn't one of the apostles. Just a guy elected to run a soup kitchen. And yet he got selflessness so deeply that he was able to say that. Most Christians I know claiming they're being persecuted by being put in Facebook jail or something have nothing on Stephen. I'm not even sure they know the same Jesus. If it came down to it, would I really be able to ask for forgiveness to the people currently murdering me? The level of selflessness, I hope... None of us have to know anything about. It's a humble place of selflessness. It's one that truly doesn't consider self first. It's it's an eager selflessness. One eager to lay down their lives for somebody else. A Jesus selflessness. One that says, not my will, but yours, God. One that says, please, if possible, take this cup of suffering from me, but not my will. Yours, God. It's one that truly has a heart for people, even murderers. And I'm just going to be real, real with you all. I I know it's easy because I've been in many church services. I I know it's easy to sit there and be inspired to to sit in a a church service and think, I'm going to do better. You know, I'm going to go home and I'm not going to jump on Netflix right away. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to read, read more of the word. I'm going to pray more. I'm I'm going to get up early tomorrow and pray. I'm going to sign up for a serve team at church. I'm going to witness to that friend at work or or offer to pray for them. Done it many times too. Been inspired. And said, God, I'm going to do better. It's easy to be inspired on Sunday. For Stephen, it was probably easy to say yes to an honor when the apostles are gathered around and laying your hands on you and praying. It's another thing to be selfless on Monday and Tuesday. And oh, it's Saturday already. (laughs) I I didn't even open my Bible once this week. Right? It's another thing to stand in front of a court full of powerful, murderous people and proclaim the gospel. Stephen was truly selfless selfless disciple, a passionate disciple, a vibrant disciple, and there was purpose even in that pain. 
But God was able to turn bad things into good things because bad things are not always bad things in the kingdom of God. And Acts 8.1 says there was a great wave of persecution that began that day that Stephen was martyred, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Verse 4 says, But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Even in persecution, there is purpose. My God has a purpose for the pain that we have to go through on this life. It's our job to just trust Him with it. To continue to make the selfless choice even when it hurts. Love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It isn't proud or rude or self-seeking. It doesn't easily anger. It keeps no record of wrongs. It rejoices when the truth wins out. Love is selfless. Jesus modeled for us a love that is selfless. The early church modeled a love that is selfless. But we just have to follow their lead. And Sunday isn't enough to do that. It has to be all-consuming. It has to change the world with the message of the gospel. They can't be surface level and do that. It has to change us truly from the inside out. And here's the challenge for us today. Take one day this week and do a selfishness fast. I, this is something completely made up. It's not biblical, right? It's I've never heard of it elsewhere, so we're not getting weird and religious about it, but it's just an exercise. I take one day this week and examine every decision you make. I'm not saying go out of your way to be extra selfless. Just the everyday normal decisions. Examine it. Before you hit snooze in the morning, before you sit down rather than do the dishes, before you take the good parking spot at work, <laughs> little things, everyday things, examine that decision. Is it selfish or selfless? What is the selfless decision here? What does that look like? Don't tell anyone you're doing it, by the way. It'll ruin the, they'll take advantage of it. <laughs> The purpose will be lost. But do it for one day, and I promise you two things. Number one, you are going to be exhausted at the end of the day. It is exhausting examining every single decision. And number two, you'll realize there are some things you need to work on. I've done this once at the prompting of the Holy Spirit. It just felt like I needed to, to try it. Because honestly, I was complaining about some things in life and I felt like I'm the most selfless person ever. I got this. The Holy Spirit said, go ahead, let's see. <laughs> try it for one day. Kid you not, before I even got out of bed that morning, I was challenged. It was the selfish decision to hit snooze. That's like second number one. Your eyes are open and you're already picking the selfish thing, Candace. Good. Lord, I had a lot of work to do. And as I went throughout my day, I kept realizing this is the selfish decision. And here's another one. And oh goodness, here's another one. And I was able at the end of the day to, I was exhausted, but I sat down and I said, God, I'm sorry. You're right. I've been so selfish. 
selfishness can be one of those sneaky issues. Right? We can convince ourselves all kinds of things are not selfish. We convince ourselves that it's everybody else that's being selfish. We can convince ourselves that all kinds of things are right and good. But when we truly filter them through, is this selfless or selfish? Like James 4, 17 makes it pretty clear. It says, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Yikes. It's a lot of things in my life. I know what I should do and I don't do it. I know what I shouldn't do and I do it anyway. And I'm probably just going to do it all over again tomorrow. It's almost an exact quote of Paul, by the way. We're not alone in these struggles. We often think this world is just getting more and more selfish. No, it's been that way since Adam and Eve. Been selfish all along. And denying yourself in this world, in this culture and context is hard. Don't get me wrong, because it's screaming for you to indulge yourself. This world is built on advertisements and things screaming at you all of the time to indulge yourself. Do it for you. Take care of yourself. It's self-care. I'm not trying to make this sound easy. It's not. You can't do it alone. It requires the Holy Spirit's help. You cannot do this alone. You'll, You'll either get walked all over or you'll fail miserably. But the Holy Spirit protects and leads and he wants to help give it to him say sorry God been so selfish take it from me please help me make better decisions help me step up and serve the people around me he wants to help Sunday morning isn't enough because all of these things, the the vibrancy, the passion, the selflessness, it has to filter down into everything we do. It's who we are. It's not just something we show up and do on Sunday mornings. It's who we are called to be outside those doors too. Vibrant, passion, selfless. It's something we have to feed. We have to be inspired. We have to work on all the time, becoming more and more like Jesus. And Sunday isn't enough, but the Holy Spirit is. Jesus is. Let him in and take over. Father, today, we just humble our hearts before you. We thank you for this word today. We thank you that you are even now humbling hearts and minds. You're you're causing repentance, truly. it's not my job to convict. It's not our job to go into the world and shake our fingers at them and tell them how selfish they're being. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would deep down in our souls help us examine ourselves. Help us be more like you. Jesus, Show us where we can step up, where we can serve each other, the body of Christ, where we can serve the world. 
people outside the church. Help us be a better example of who you are because of the way we love each other. Help us use our gifts and talents to encourage one another, to serve one another. Heads bowed and eyes still closed today. Maybe you're feeling a little convicted, like something specific came to your mind as I was talking today, and you feel like you just need to give that up, but it's hard. It's scary to give that thing up. You don't know how you're going to do it, how you're going to live without it. But you know there's some selfishness going on in your life. You're being called to repent of it today. I'm here to tell you the Holy Spirit wants to help. You don't have to do it alone. It doesn't have to be scary. God has better for you on the other side. He has more for you. Give that thing up. Give it to Jesus. That's you and you just want to be brave and raise your hand just so I know who I'm praying for today. Would you do that? I, I, need, I know there's something in my life I need to repent of. Would you just raise your hand right where you are today? Maybe today you're saying that uh, it's not just one thing, it's a lot of things. It's my life in general. I've never given my life to Jesus, all of it, without holding back. Today I just want to do that. I ask Jesus for a fresh start. Ask him to be the Lord of my life. Give him control of my life. Get a fresh start. If that's you today, would you raise your hand and you're here in the room? I give my life to Jesus. Maybe for the first time or it's just been a while. If you're watching online or listening today, you can text the number on the screen. I'd love to help you with that decision as well. Father, we dedicate each and every decision to you today. Help us truly become selfless people. People willing to lay down our lives for each other, to serve one another with genuine hearts happy to give, happy to serve. God, let the joy that you've placed within each of us, the, the joy, the peace, the hope, allow it to overflow first onto each other and then onto the world, that we would truly be like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, that we would truly be the light to the world, the salt to the earth, that our friends and neighbors and coworkers would begin to ask us, why are you so happy all the time? Well, what has you so peaceful, even in the midst of so much chaos? We would be ready with an answer. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that God is real, God is good, and he loves us so much. How can we not love one another when he first loved us so well? Thank you, Jesus. Dedicate these decisions to you today. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.